Good morning. We're picking it up uh, in Genesis chapter 30 this morning. Uh, and the title of the message is God Listened, God Remembered. God Listened, God Remembered. If we remember, we saw that Jacob had to leave, that Isaac charged him to find a wife in the right place. So he goes to Haran, the area where his mom's family was from and where Abraham had stopped. He met Rachel at the well. She had the sheep, Laban and Leah. He stayed a month. He worked seven years for Rachel, but he was given Leah. Maybe you feel that way. You work seven years for something and then you're given, uh, was it Christmas vacation? When he works, he expects a bonus. So he's going to get a pool and he gets a Jelly of the Month Club subscription or uh, plenty of situations like that. But he worked seven years, more years for, Ra uh, uh, for Rachel. And he was finally given Rachel. Leah bears him sons, but Rachel is barren. Jacob loves Rachel, but he doesn't love Leah. Are there people in your life that don't quite seem to love you back? Or maybe they don't love you the way you think they should love you. Are there situations in life that seem hopeless, that seem lifeless or barren? Do you feel like you're getting ripped off, the short end of the stick, taken advantage of? Have you been working hard and just want to strike it out on your own? You feel like you just can't get out under the shadow of something. You want to be more independent. Know that in all of this, God is listening. And Lord, this morning, uh, as we know, you hear us when we pray. God, let us listen to you. Let us listen to your word and what it has to say. Would you please speak to us plainly and simply uh, in the word, but also uh, to our hearts uh, by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pick it up in Genesis chapter 30, and we'll cover the first eight verses here together. It says, Now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, Give me children or else I die. And Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God, who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? So she said, Here is my maid Bilhah, go unto her, and she will bear a child on my knees, that I also may have children by her. Then she gave him Bilhah, her maid, his wife, and Jacob went unto her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged my case, and has also heard my voice, and given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan. And Rachel's maid Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, With great wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister, and indeed I have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. Whew. Interesting eight verses right there. Uh, but the first one we see that Rachel seems a bit dramatic. She seems like the type of lady who's given over to drama. She says, give me children or else I die, Jacob. Why haven't you given me children? I'm going to die. And this makes Jacob very angry. He loves this woman very much, but she's throwing a fit and blaming it on him. And, and rightfully, in a sense, you know, she's, it's hard for her. She wants to have children. She doesn't. I'm sure that this wells up in her. But he says, am I in the place of God? who's withheld from you. You know, God is the only one who can give you children or not give you children. Obviously, it's not my fault. I'm having kids with Leah. It's not on me. So we see a little bit of his faith here. You know, it's not his fault, again, that she's not conceiving. 
Um, he has no control over his situation. He knows only God can give them children. But when she offers him up her maid, he's not like, no, far be it for me to do that. He says, okay. And we see some family history repeating here that these maids are given over to bear them children. And again, this is a cultural thing. I don't think that they just came up with this, that this was probably common practice uh, among those who had maids and servants who had wealth. Um, and we're going to see a lot of these sort of things as we read through today. And it makes me think of uh, all the, the reproductive methods that there are today, fertilization and uh, uh, what do they call that? Um, when someone else carries a baby, a surrogate, when there's a surrogate mother, you know, you have to have money to have these things. Um, and yet, I don't know. I don't know. There's, there's hard things to think about here that some of these methods... Um, you know, can create uh, maybe more trouble than they're worth. But we see that this name Bilhah, what does her name mean? It means troubled. And it's interesting that as Rachel is troubled over all this, she gives her troubled servant over to Jacob. Maybe she wasn't troubled until one day her boss came in and said, you're going to marry my husband. And she said, what? You know, we don't know how old these maids are, but I assume that they're younger, um, uh, you know, in, in most cases, I would think. But she says that when this, when Bilhah gives birth, that Rachel says that God has judged my case and given me a son. And it's interesting that she claims that this baby boy born to Bilhah is somehow hers, that this servant doesn't have any rights of her own. She's just a maid, and that even her own children are given over to her master. Um, that's interesting. Uh, but was this really her son? You know, obviously no, it was Bilhah's, but... She didn't have much rights, but Rachel claims the son as her own, and she names him Dan, which means a judge. That God saw that what was going on in Rachel's estimation, and that Rachel sees that this provision through Bilhah, this fleshly situation, is God's provision in her life, and God would use it. Um, uh, as we'll see here, there's many more children being born, um, but again. A lot of times we ascribe to God things that, you know, Dan is loved by God and planned by God for before the foundations of the earth and used by him as a tribe of Israel. And man, like, I don't know. It's just a, one of those things when we see in the scriptures, there's these real life sticky situations going on and it's, it's God just showing us how he's going to work through them and in them. But she says, wrestling with her sister and I have to wonder, maybe that these two really had a rivalry going here. Obviously they did here, but I wonder if there was more roots in their childhood. Um, you know, growing up, Leah always looking at her beautiful sister and knowing that people don't think she's very beautiful. Uh, maybe she had a deformity, I don't know. But this rivalry that's there, um, you know, we have the dramatic shepherding beauty queen, so to speak. Uh, and then perhaps, as we see here, the way she deals with her sister, the more intelligent, the more... Um, introverted uh, but not outwardly beautiful Leah you know she makes this deal with her sister when her sister's being all dramatic um, to get what she wants we see one sister who's loved and one sister who's hated you know her dad tricks Jacob into marrying his sister uh, Leah uh, and one uh, her dad even loves Rachel more in a sense that he held her back um, one who's barren but one who's fruitful that there's this total difference going on with them and it creates this strife between them and when the second son uh, to Bilhah is born his name is Naphtali and that's wrestling 
uh, wrestling. It's interesting, again, that it seems that Jacob has little to do with the naming of his children. We know that Jacob will wrestle with God at one point, but it really is quite this family dynamic going on, this wrestling between the wives, maidservants getting involved. Jacob's not naming them. His boys are growing up. Uh, you know, as we know later in the situation with Joseph, there's all these rivalry and with the brothers and how they think of Joseph. Um, you know, they're half, they're all half brothers at this point. Uh, and it's interesting to think about when Elizabeth bears John the Baptist, they look to Zacharias uh, for confirmation of their odd choice in name. You know, that although she's the one who's able to speak and say his name is John, they look to the dad like, really? But I don't see Jacob being too involved in the naming here. And again, that's not a big, you know, not a big deal who picks out the name mom or dad as long as you agree on it, I hope. But I think it might show a little bit more of a family dynamic by what's not said here. But anyway, these moms name their children and uh, they continue on. And uh, let's go on. Verse 9 through 13 says, When Leah saw that she had stopped bearing, she took Zilpah, her maid, and gave her to Jacob, his wife. And Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Then she said, A troop comes. So she called his name Gad. And Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, I am happy for the daughters will call me blessed. So she called his name Asher. And remember last week that uh, Leah had borne four sons and Rachel had borne none. And so Leah believed that her time of having children was over, that perhaps they had tried a few more times and she just couldn't get pregnant uh, at that time. Uh, but she saw that she had stopped bearing. And, you know, again, like she saw that she had, that God was gracious to her. She still was sort of in the flesh. You know, we saw that progression of her faith last chapter. And yet we see now that, you know, she's still going along with this rivalry with her sister. Her sister's giving her maid. Oh, I'm going to give my maid and we're going to have kids. And these poor sons are just, in a sense, part of their mom just trying to gain affection of uh, their dad. And it, what a, you know, a tough situation to be in there. You know, that she was valuing being able to give her husband children above all else. At the expense of what? Perhaps her children. First Timothy 2, 12 through 15. This is a hard scripture, but we'll read it. It says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first and then Eve, and Adam was not deceived. But the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing. They continue in faith, love, holiness, and self-control. Um, and basically, Paul's just saying here that when it comes to the church, that the man is supposed to lead the church because it's a picture of what happened in the garden, that you can't have the woman leading the church because the woman is the one who was deceived. Uh, and you certainly don't want a church leader deceived. You want a church leader who knows that. But again, just the responsibility of man and woman, and not that a woman would be saved that that's her salvation, that Jesus is her salvation, but that there's something special about a woman who's following the Lord and is able to have children. And I'm going to read just a couple pieces of commentary on this. Uh, first one's from John Piper. He says, in other words, I'm talking about commentary in First Timothy. He says, in other words, even more than today, there were aspects of childbearing that felt like a curse from God. And often that burden lasted a lifetime, not just in the moment of birth, how easy it would have been for women to despair and feel that God was against them. He was their cursor, not their savior. To this sense of despair, Paul responds with the hope of the gospel. No to the curse, the pains of childbearing, even if they last a lifetime, are not God's final word to women. God intends to save women. And he quotes this guy from the 1800s named Henry Alford. The curse of the woman for her transgression was, in pains you will bear children. Her childbearing is that in which the curse finds its operation. 
What then is here promised uh, her? Not only exemption from that curse and its worst and heaviest effects, not merely that she shall safely bear children, but the apostle uses the word will be saved purposely for its higher meaning, eternal salvation, and the construction of the sentence is precisely as in 1 Corinthians 3.15, he will be saved yet as through fire. Just as the man would be saved through his passing through fire, which is his trial, his hindrance in his way, in spite of which he escapes, so shall she be saved through as passing through her childbearing, which is her trial, her curse, her not means of salvation, but hindrance in the way of it. And we see here that there's this faith that these women have, but their struggles with childbearing and childbirth and their marriage get in the way of that faith and cause them to get dramatic or cause them to have this rivalry um, through it. And that's something that, you know, men have different trials than women have trials. We all have trials, but there's things that God wants to save us through, situations in life uh, that I'll never understand that my wife will go through in the same with her as much as we're to dwell with understanding with each other. Um, but in, in reality, though, there's nothing that can take the place of a godly mother in a child's life. Uh, there are many substitutes that we try and replace, many others that come and fill in. And I'm not trying to knock a single dad. I'm not trying to, to, to cut that down in any sense. But there's none with more influence or power uh, over a young child's life like a mom. You know, my role as a dad is completely different than, than, than your role as my wife. Uh, but it's just important, but only a mom can be a mom. As hard as a dad tries, he might do a great thing, he might do all the roles of a mom, but he'll never be a mom. And same thing with a mom. You know, I, my parents got divorced growing up, and my mom did a lot, and she did great. Uh, you know, did really good as best as she could, but it would never replace the influence of a father in my life. It just isn't meant to be that way. Um, and we see that here, that God says that it's very important. Uh, for a woman to be these things and very important for her to live up to the holy role of being a mother We see that Leah gives her Handmaid named Zilpa and her name means a trickling and I think in some sense There's a little trickling of a hope to have more sons if I just give Zilpa out and she bears Gad and Asher Gad is a troop I wonder what he was like in the womb if he felt like an army going around but Asher means happy and what a great name uh, for your son, the name I've been made happy. But at this point, there's eight boys been born. There's been Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. Leah has four. Rachel hasn't had any yet for keeping score. Bilhah has two, and Zilpah has two. Uh, let's go on here, verses 14 through 24. And it says, Now Reuben went in the days of wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, Is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, Therefore he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. And when Jacob came out of the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come in to me, for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. And he lay with her that night. And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. And Leah said, God has given me my wages, because I have given my maid to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. Then Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me, because I have borne him six sons. 
So she called his name Zebulun. Afterward, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. So she called his name Joseph and said, The Lord shall add to me another son. We see Reuben here, Leah's firstborn, perhaps maybe age seven. I was looking through the commentary trying to figure out, but he was born. All his other boys are born. You know, it depends on how many how much time has gone by. But he's he's still a boy. And he's out in the field. Maybe he's picking his mom as flowers. Maybe she sent him on this mission to find them. Uh, but he comes back with these things that we're calling mandrakes. Uh, apparently, Matthew Henry says the critics are not agreed about them. We are sure. There are some rarities, either fruits or flowers that are very pleasant to the smell. So we don't know exactly what they were, uh, but they were considered an aphrodisiac to them. They're called the love apple. <laughs> that whatever it is, Leah, you know, whether Leah just told her son she liked them, oh, they're beautiful, go get some for me. Or they smell good, go get some for me. Or, uh, you know, she was really trying to, to, to get them over and, and use them in her relationship with Jacob. Uh, and so Rachel comes and knows that Reuben has these and Rachel obviously wants to have her own kids. She's like, give these things to me, give them to me. I want, you know, help me out, sister, you know, hook me up. You have all these kids, please just give these to me. I'm so desperate to have a baby. Please, please just give them to me. Um, and Leah says, as a good sister, sure, my sister, I would love for you to have kids too. She says, you taking away my husband and now you want my mandrakes too? Are you kidding me? And it's, again, it's complicated because, yes, he married Leah first. So Leah could say, you've taken away my husband because he loves Rachel more and he married her second. But really, remember, he was tricked into marrying Leah and he loved Rachel first. So Rachel could say, you're the one who married the one who loved me. You're the one who went along with dad's plan. It just shows that there's continued rivalry here you know that Leah in a sense is oh you want these things well let me hang this over your head and then I'll give you what you want you know let, submit to me and I'll, I'll let you have these things Rachel it reminds me of that old old quote apparently by a name named William Congreve from a play in the 1600s said heaven has no rage like love to hatred turned nor hell of fury like a woman scorned or we get that saying hell has no fury like a woman scorned and Leah feeling scorned you know their husband doesn't love her and, and Rachel just wants to have kids and it's interesting that God has to call out in Leviticus 18 18 uh, it says it, there's forbidding and marrying sisters and it's I don't know who would want to do that that would be a rough time but it should be pretty obvious but as we see here this relationship that is what it is it and it, it's showing the fruits thereof Proverbs has to say it twice in two verses 21 9 and 25 24 Better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than a house shared with a contentious woman. And that's not to hate on a woman, but it's saying, man, you know, women are women are crafty. They're smart. They're cunning. And if you've gotten under their skin in some way, you better watch out, buddy. And I'm thankful that my wife is holy and righteous. Otherwise, <laughs> I would be dwelling in the corner of a housetop. Because <laughs> she has to put up with me all the time. But Rachel says, okay, you want any mandrakes? You're going to give me these mandrakes? You can have them tonight, and I'll take the mandrakes. So imagine this deal. Jacob's out working. He comes home from work. He gets out of the car, and Leah says, hey, honey, I bought you. I had a little auction. You got to come home with me tonight. 
What an encounter, what a situation, that, and what a sad thing that she has to pay for her husband's affection. Did you do the laundry yet today? Did you do, you know, like, she doesn't have his heart, but she had to pay for his physical attention. It's interesting that Genesis 30, 17 says, God listened to Leah, that he heard all this, he saw all this, that even in the midst of this cunning and this deal, he still loved her. He still cared about her heart and he knew the cry of her heart and he would answer her concern and her prayer and her whining, even despite all this. And she conceives and bore Jacob's the fifth son and I think that that should really change our perspective on God a lot of times. You know, sometimes we think we have to buy God's affection or buy God's time or his ear, that we have to behave perfectly. And we should. We need to be obedient. We, we shouldn't take his grace for granted. But that even if we do sin and we do mess up, even if we're complaining and whining and going about fleshly things and trying to have a baby in our own strength, so to speak, and he still listens. And also answer that prayer, and we'll see more of that in this chapter as well. This word "God listened" means to hear, as in perceiving by the ear, to hear or of concerning, to have power to hear, to hear with attention or interest. And the Bible says that God stoops down to listen to us, to understand her language. You know, we talk about praying without words sometimes, and God knows what we need. God knows what we're saying, what the cry of our hearts are. To hear is a judicial case, which is interesting, to, interesting too. To listen or to give heed, to consent, to obey, to be obedient. You know, I don't think she twisted God's arm here. But in a sense, you know, he answered her desire here. He had already given her all these other kids, and yet he would still give her more because she desired kids, and desiring kids is a good thing. She didn't need those mandrakes like she thought she did. She needed God to listen. You know, she got those mandrakes thinking that perhaps if Jacob's with her, this aphrodisiac, this aid, this medical thing, this old wives' tale, this working it out in the flesh would give her babies. And in a sense, in a way it did, she used it to buy her husband. But really, she just needed God to listen. That all that stuff could go out the window. She could give it all away. If God heard her, she would have a baby. She names him Issachar, but there's recompense that God has paid her her wages. And this is son number nine, and it's the fifth by Leah. And then again, she bears another son named Zebulun. So God's not done. God listened, and she thought she was done. She thought she was done having kids, that after these four, she'd have to get her maid, and then she wanted more. But God said, no, you're going to have two more. And number 10 is Zebulun meaning exalted. That God has lifted her up, has uh, given her son after son after son after son, despite her not being loved. And she was definitely not done with the kids. She thought she was, but she wasn't. And yet, through all this, still con convinced that if she just bore a couple more kids, she just had more sons, if she just did more, that Jacob would love her. That he'd actually live with her now on the account of the boys. You figure he's 
Leah's over here. She got the maid. Rachel's over here. They've got the. I'm sure they're not in the same tent. I, w <laughs> I don't know how that would work. But she thinks that Jacob's going to come home and put his feet up on, on her coffee table, so to speak. And he's going to rest there at night. And it's so sad to try and keep a marriage together just by having more children. It may work for a while while they're home, but when they're grown up, the relation, if the relationship isn't repaired, it won't last. You need to repair your relationship. Don't think the relationship should end, but man, doing things to try and get it to, to fix it is not, the, is not the way to do it. You have to handle the root. And what does she have? She has the first daughter named Dinah, and we'll see later an incident with Dinah. Uh, but her name is similar to Dan. Like Dan is the judge, Dinah is the judgment. And this is the 11th child, the seventh by Leah. And I know we're talking about a lot of kids today, so the message is a little slow in that matter. But we see in verse 22 that God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb. That through all this, all these other kids, all these years have gone by, all this plotting, all this scheming, all, this, all these mandrakes being eaten or pulled out or whatever they did with them. Rachel still didn't have babies. And it's not that God had forgotten about her. It's not that God didn't care about her. But it wasn't yet time for him to answer her prayers. That God had a plan for her son to be born. And his name would be Joseph. That means Jehovah or Yahweh is added. And Rachel's firstborn is this man Joseph that we see. is a very special person in the scriptures uh, who is used to save uh, these people when, when dire times come. And Rachel says, the Lord shall add to me another son. And then again, she sees these other children as hers and God has added to her another son. And in a sense, that's true. But in really that reality, this is her first son. And yet I think somehow God would answer that prayer that he would give her even yet another son, as we'll see later, uh, Benjamin. Let's go on to verse 25. It says, Now it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph that Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my own place and to my own country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, and let me go, for you know my service which I have done for you. And Laban said to him, Please stay, if I found favor in your eyes, for I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. Then he said, Name me your wages, and I will give it. So Jacob said to him, You know how I have served you with, uh, and how your livestock has been with me? For what you had before I came was little, and it has increased to a great amount. The Lord has blessed you since my coming, and now when shall... I also provide for my own house. So he said, What shall I give you? And Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. If you will do this thing for me, I will again feed and keep your flocks. And he's like, Laban, like, I don't want anything from you. I just want what I've earned. And I will even earn this from you. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from there all the speckled and spotted sheep and all the brown ones among the lambs and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and these shall be my wages. So my righteousness will answer for me in time to come when the subject of my wages comes uh, before you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and brown among the lambs will be considered stolen if it is with me. And Laban said, Oh, that it were according to your word. Uh, so he removed that day the male goats that were speckled and spotted, all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, everyone that had some white in it, and all the brown ones among the lambs, and gave them into the hands of his sons. Then he put three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks. We'll stop there. Jacob now wants his freedom. You know, he wasn't a slave to Laban. He came, he was his uh, nephew, but he uh, worked for those years for 
Rachel, and he worked again for those years for Rachel, and he worked again, um, and now he's willing to work again. But it's the time when he says, man, I've got my family, I've got children, but I don't really have anything of my own. I'm still living in your house. I'm still caring for your flocks. Uh, I've worked for you. Uh, it's been fine, but I really need to kind of work, start working for myself at this point. Um, I don't know how old he is here, but I know he's probably close to middle age or after middle age, he's not a kid. And it's about time that Jacob gets out on his own. Um, but he didn't want to be under the shadow of his uncle anymore. And I can totally relate to that. I, we have a, a great place, but at the end of the day, we're renting it. And it would much, in my estimation, we'll see if it's the Lord's estimation, I feel like it would be better to own in some sense. Yeah, there's different problems, but at the end of the day, I don't have to answer to anyone but the bank. And if I pay off that loan, I don't have to answer to anyone but the government. Um, so there's always kind of be someone over me, but it's like, I'm just kind of limited. It's not really my house. I can't change something if I want to. Um, you know, if something catastrophically breaks, I don't have to pay for it either because it's not my house. But in the same sense, you know, if I break something, it's over my head uh, to fix it, uh, to fulfill someone else's desires. Uh, but he says, the deal is done. I've served you. It's been fulfilled. You know, I've done all these things. You've paid me with your daughters. I've been working. I just really want to, I really want to get some inheritance now. I really want to get something that I can call my own. And livestock was their currency of the day. Uh, if you had livestock, that was your wealth. Um, you wanted to buy something, you traded livestock. You wanted to sell something, you know, they probably paid you in livestock. And so Laban says, uh, verse 27, that he's learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. Laban's saying, I've seen it by, by what's happened, that my life has changed since you showed up, that God has blessed you and blessed me. For your sake, because you're here and you're working, I obviously have all these more flocks. You've done a great job. You've taken care of all these things. Uh, I don't want to lose you. In one sense, selfishly, because he's getting more wealth. The other sense, like, Jacob, the deceiver, has actually been a good employee. I can remember wanting to leave a job years ago, and my boss kind of offering me all sorts of things on the table so that I wouldn't leave. Because... They valued me for whatever reason. He didn't want to, he knew he was getting a good deal or he, I think he actually enjoyed the work that I did for him, but for a sense there, didn't want to lose him. And that's what Laban kind of does here with Jacob. He says, I don't want to lose you. you know, what, what do you want me to pay? Name your wages, name your price so that I can keep you on. So Jacob said, uh, you know, you had a little bit of livestock when I came on and now you have a lot. Um, You've got so much that basically, let me just take the speckled and spotted ones. Let me take the ones that aren't the best looking, that aren't the most desirable, maybe, perhaps, I'm guessing here. Um, but I've been keeping them for a few decades, and I don't want you just to give them to me. I'm still going to work for you and take care of all your flocks. But this, consider this next part of me working, me paying for just the speckled and spotted ones. Um, and if the speckled and spotted ones have more speckled and spotted, they'll be mine. And if any of the ones that aren't speckled or spotted end up in, in, in mine, well, they're, they're, they're really yours. So don't let me keep any of those. Let me just keep the ones that look this way. And apparently, this was a good deal. Because Laban said, sign me up right away. Go for it. That's fantastic. Keep working. You keep those. I'll give these to my sons. And you just take care of yours. And you kind of oversee the whole deal. And uh, Jacob went one way. And the sons of Laban went the other way. Uh, three days apart from each other, uh, just to make sure that there was nothing, not easy for these animals to mingle. 
But we have to remember that God was favoring Jacob. So even if Jacob was taking the smaller end of the deal, the short end of the stick, that God was still going to bless it and grow it. And we think about Abraham and Lot. Abraham said, Lot, whichever way you want to go, just go. I'll take the other one. And in a sense, Jacob here, the one who is the deceiver, uh, well, I, he's got a plan here and he's got a, a thing to do it here. Um, he's obviously got God's hand behind him. So he's up front about it, um, but we see that he's got a little practice here that he knows how to do something apparently to get more speckled and spotted ones. And just a reminder, I think in Proverbs 10, uh, 1, 10 through 16, it says, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait to shed blood. Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol and whole, like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all kinds of precious possessions. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in your lot among us. Let us all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your foot from their path, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. And in a sense here, as Jacob was trying to separate out, he wanted his finances completely separated from Laban's finances. He wanted his animals completely separated from his uncles. He didn't want there to be any confusion over what was his uncles and what was his, that it was clear that he was not stealing anything. It was clear that this was exactly what he earned, that this was a clear deal and a clear separation. And Proverbs talks about the people who want you all to have one purse. Put your money in here. Get rich quick scheme. Socialism. It's all about making someone else rich. They don't have your personal finances in concern. They have their own. They want you to join with them that they might be increased. Don't join in those universal plans. You know, again, it's not your wealth that they're, um, they're looking to increase. They're looking to plunder your wealth. And we'll see here that Jacob kind of goes his own way and God will end up blessing him uh, for it. Let's go on. It says uh, in verse 37, Now Jacob took for himself rods of green poplar and of the almond and chestnut trees. He peeled white strips in them and exposed the white which was on the rods. And the rods which he had peeled, he sat before the flocks in the gutters and the watering troughs where the flocks came to drink so that they could, should conceive when they came to drink. And so the flocks conceived before the rods and the flocks brought forth streaked, speckled, and spotted. Then Jacob separated the lambs and made the flocks face toward the streaked and all the brown and the flock of Laban. Uh, and he put his own flocks by themselves and did not put them with Laban's flock. And it came to pass whenever the stronger livestock conceived that Jacob placed the rods before the eyes of the livestock in the gutters that they might conceive among the rods. But when the flocks were feeble, he did not put them in. So the feebler were Laban's and the stronger were Jacob's. Thus the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks, female and male servants and camels and donkeys. So you see here, Jacob, he's obviously a pro at animal husbandry. He's been taking care of these flocks for years and years and decades. Uh, and he does this strange thing. And I haven't taken care of flocks for decades. I haven't tried any of this method out. Uh, maybe someone who does could try it and let me know if it actually works or not. But again, it comes to me as this strange ritual, this strange superstition that he has. And yet, somehow, it works. And God uses it to increase Jacob's wealth. That in any sense, and even in the, in the basest sense, Jacob wasn't deceiving his uncle. But he wasn't telling him that he has all these, all these tricks up his sleeve for handling the flocks. Obviously, he knows what he's doing. Obviously, he's a pro. And Laban obviously isn't out with the flocks. But Jacob knows what he's doing. And so if he makes his deal, he knew that he'd be able to try and uh, get it to work in his favor. Um, and he does. And so there's a selective breeding going on here. Obviously, we have methods for that now. And uh, you know, even with plants and animals, we're able to get 
stronger animals, purebreds and things. But it's interesting that DNA is something of a striped and coiled thing as well. And that, uh, you know, just a little loose connection there. But we see that God does bless this, that his old shepherd's tale superstitions was just something that he did, something he knew how to do, and apparently he believed would work, but God made it work. And I don't know that he asked God to make it work, but it sort of reminds me of Gideon in Judges 6, 36-40. And Gideon says unto God, If you will save Israel by mine hand, as you have said, behold, I will put a fleece of wool on the floor, and if the dew be on the fleece only, it be upon, dry upon the earth, then I shall know that you will save Israel by mine hand, and you have said. And it was so, for he rose up early in the morrow, and thrust the fleece together, and wringed the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. And Gideon said unto God, Let not thine anger be hot against me, and I will uh, speak but this once. Let me prove, I pray thee, but this once with the fleece. Let it now be dry upon the fleece, and upon all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night, for it was dry upon the fleece only, and there was dew on all the ground. Again, a strange practice, a strange thing to do, and yet God uses it. In Isaiah 53, 2-6, it says, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we are healed. And all like we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned away, everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Again, like these sheep are to look on the stripes, we're to look on the stripes of Jesus. And it will bring forth life in us. It will bring forth the exact kind of life that God wants to have in us when we look upon the one that God has stricken. And so Jacob takes these sticks, he peels them, he makes them stripes, he takes the bark off, he puts them in front. When the weak animals come in, he doesn't put them out. And the weak animals have weak babies and they can go be Laban's. But when the strong, good ones come in, he puts them out and apparently they see them. And this animal aphrodisiac gets them to have babies and they have striped and spotted and speckled babies that become Jacob's. And he keeps doing this over and over season after season, and he becomes very wealthy. His investment in the flock market was paying dividends. That these flocks, again, would be used to pay for so many other things. We see that he has camels now. He has men servants and maidservants, all because God has given him, the, he was once a deceiver, but now he's obviously very smart and very business savvy and very good at taking care of these animals. The, the boy who was an inside boy all his life, has now become the master shepherd out here in the field. And God was blessing him. God had listened to Leah, and God had remembered Rachel. If you remember, just a chapter ago, Jacob was poor. He was empty-handed. He was sleeping on a rock. He was on the run from his brother who wanted to kill him. He didn't even have a wife. But he now had all of these children, all of these flocks, all these servants, all these years under his belt that he had worked hard, he had been honest with his family, even if he did have some skill up his sleeve that maybe Laban didn't know about, he was honest with him and made a fair deal with him. Because God was favoring him. That this hard work and this honesty, this beginning of change in his life was really paying off for him and his favor be heaven. There were still more trials to come as we'll see next, next week. But this deceiver was well on his way to becoming governed 
by God. And Lord, this morning we ask that you would help us to be governed by you, to not deceive, to not trick, but God, be honest, to work hard, be a good servant, be a good steward of what you've given us in life, in our relationships, in our banks, in our homes, and in our jobs. That God, you might bless our employers, God, for their sake and for ours. That God, that our being a part of things we're a part of, whether we're a mom who raises her children at home or um, a dad who goes out uh, and works uh, away all week and only comes home on the weekends or is away in the army or whatever it is, God, that you would bless them and uh, use that. God, let us be faithful to you and be governed by you and not turn to the worldly ways, not, not listen to what the doctors say over what you say. Like, God, we would still go to doctors and we thank you for them, but God, when you tell us one thing and they tell us another, we put our trust in you and not in them, that we wouldn't rely on earthly and fleshly and worldly methods um, to get our desires, but especially for children, God, that we would trust in you to bless us as you would see fit. We love you, Lord. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.